Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. We're thankful for those who went on our behalf and served the Lord. I want to preach this morning from a passage in Ephesians 5. It is a really wonderful passage, and I hope to get through it efficiently. Um, But before I do, let's just take another minute, and let's just pause and quiet our minds and open our hearts and ask that God's Word would speak to us today. It's important that we hear from God. Amen? Not just from people, not just from instruments, but we need to hear the voice of the Lord today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for just the precious things we've experienced already this morning. This morning has been an experience of your grace and your love. Even this last hour, thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the way you love us, that you're faithful to us. You never leave and never forsake us. We're not orphans. We're children at your table, loved by our Father, with one another. And now, Lord, as we go through your word, as we open up this book, your spoken, your living word to us, I pray that, Lord, you would open our hearts so that, God, it would go through us. It would have a sifting process, and it would remove just bad thinking, things from our culture that we embrace, but we have to recognize don't belong in the man of God, don't belong in the woman of God. And, Lord, we pray that it would add to us that the missing things in our life, the empty parts God, of our, even our emotions, our thinking, but just of our life, that your word would add to us, that you would put in place the, the echoing, resounding strength of your voice. And so help us today. Help me as I preach, Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read the scripture, but before I do, I'm going to give you my three points, because I know your attention spans, you know, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. I want to talk about gratitude today, but I want to make three points about gratitude. The first point is this, is that gratitude is a partnership with the truth. So that in order to have gratitude, to live a life, a legitimately thankful life, it's a partnership with the truth. Okay? Um, Some of you are... Word people, I can just, so I just write partnership, right? You want to hear the word. Some of you are more, you know, image kind of graphically oriented. So you can, you can sketch down. If you don't want to write the word partnership, just draw on your notes this little picture of a hands shaking hands. Because that's what happens when you partner with something, right? If I want to make an agreement with my friend Jay, we shake on it. We have an agreement. We have a partnership in this. We have um, a sense in which we will not stray from one another. And thanksgiving requires a partnership with the truth. The second thing is this. The grateful people, they radiate. They radiate in the world. Ungrateful people, by contrast, they suck the life out of the world. Right? If you've ever met an ungrateful or just even a disingenuous person, it's like they suck the life out of the room with a complaining attitude or a critical attitude or this entitlement attitude, sense that the world owes me something. 
The ungrateful people suck the life out of a room. Grateful people radiate. Third thing I want us to see this is that the thankful life, it's an intentional and a regular experience with God. By this I want to say that the thankful life starts on the inside and it flows out. It doesn't start on the outside and try to find its way in. And so you can draw a picture of a little well. Maybe if that's too advanced, just do a bucket. So the idea of a partnership is the handshake. The idea of radiating is a light bulb. And the idea of the inside-out life, that is a well. Maybe you have your own images that you could draw, but think about these things even as we go through them together this morning. Now, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 20 verses. I started with a smaller section, but I just got so excited about the whole thing, I said, we have to spend time and read this. So Ephesians 5, starting with verse 1, it says this. Oh, sorry. Did I say Ephesians? What have I said? All right, Jeremiah chapter 5. I told Daniel this morning, whatever I do, just keep the church on track. So, oh, it doesn't even say it. Okay. Ephesians, letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any other kind of impurity or of greed. But because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Let me read that properly. For you were once darkness. I said in, the preposition is not there. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this passage, I'll just... I want to, it, it beautiful part of this whole section is obviously the Apostle Paul is giving some corrective discipleship. This is how the Christian should live. It's called an epistle. It's the pastoral advice letter. This is what God wants for your life letter. But he starts the letter with this idea, with this profound foundational Christian concept that you are dearly loved children and dearly loved children walk in love. It says in verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That loved people walk in a loving way. Not always. Sometimes loved people walk in a selfish way. It's the very definition of ingratitude. But here the Apostle Paul says, look, you are this dearly loved children. You are dearly loved. It's, it's not because you, you did something. It's not because you were something. The Bible says quite the opposite. That what you've done and who you were was not why God loved you. The scripture says that he in his sovereign, steadfast love chose to put his affections on you. That was his sovereign choice. Nothing we did caused him to love us, and it also means that nothing we do will cause him to not love us. It was a sovereign choosing of the Lord of everything, who said, I choose to lay my affections on you. I like how it says in the Old Testament to the people of Israel, it wasn't because you were the most populous or the most talented or anything else like that, but God chose to set his affections on you. He loves you. That's what love is. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. Sometimes emotions follow. Sometimes they don't. But when we love someone, we vow, we choose to lay our affections, to lay our life on someone. And it says, and I want you to follow God's example. Walk this way. Love this way. Live this way. It's the foundation by which every Christian instruction is built. Sometimes we do away with God's, the foundation of God's sovereign choosing and love for you, and we think that somehow that us doing something, that us doing it or obeying it just right is the reason God chooses to set his affection on us. That if I do things right enough, and I, if I get it good enough, if I make people believe and think, and if the pastor shakes my hand and thinks I'm good, then somehow God will love me. That is not Christianity. The full measure of God's love is laid out on you before you do or say anything good. I've invited people to church before and say, you got to come worship with us. Check it out. You might hear something you like. It might be good for you. 
give you something to think about. And you're like, oh, I can't come into a church. If I walked into a church building, the roof would collapse on my head. Right? Have you heard that before? That's it, it, people say that to me. I'm like, wow, you're right, actually. We, our roof is terrible. <laughs> it leaks, and it's old, and we can barely afford to keep it up. <laughs> but there's a, where's, let's take another offering. No, but there's, there's, a, there's a presupposition, a premise in that that says that unless I'm lovable, God won't love me. And here, as, as, as Paul's about to roll out a bunch of serious Christian instruction, he sets first and primary, God chose to love you. And therefore, because of his love, walk in love. Walk in love as dearly loved children. So the first implication, the first point I want to make here, building on this foundation of love, is this. Is that thanksgiving is a partnership with love, with God's love. This handshake with God's love. This embrace, this agreement, this solidarity with the truth that God loves you. When you look at those scriptures, let me read it just real quick again because there are 47 words before we hit Thanksgiving and all of them are negative. There are 61 words in this paragraph after the word thanksgiving, and all of them are negative. And so you have all this stuff to stay away with, and in the center of it all is this word thanksgiving. Be thankful. It's almost like a shortcut, for this is how the Christian life responds to the gospel and to the reality of God's sovereign love for them. Look, it's just piled on with all this garbage, and then this beautiful word comes out, thanksgiving. Among you, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, covetousness, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. These are out of place. But rather, thanksgiving. It's like he's saying, don't partner with these other things. Don't create a partnership with like bodily, physical impurity, sexual immorality. Don't create a partnership in your heart, your motives of greed and covetousness, this desire to have what someone else has. I want that. Don't partner with that. Greed and covetousness. And don't partner with your mouth, words of coarse joking and profanity and things that just shouldn't be said. It's like, don't partner with those things. Impurities. That's the summation of it. Don't partner with impurity. Whether it's bodily impurity, motivational, your motives, or your, your, your words. Create no partnership with them. Don't shake their hands. Instead, partner with thanksgiving. Whoa! partner create an agreement a bonding covenant with thanksgiving that this would be the result of your body the result of your motives and the result of your mouth that you would live think and speak 
words and life that is thankful and grateful and a reflection of God's great love for you. It's a partnership with what God has done in your life. It's not even a human decision. It's like a revelation. It's like that moment you realize that God really does love you. That God really, really does sacrifice and lay down. He just gave it all up. He set his glory aside. He took on human flesh. He became obedient to this plan, which meant sacrifice, even death. That the full measure of God's heart was poured out on, on the cross where he demonstrated, put in living life action, the incarnation of God laid to bear, bloody and dead. That when we get that, when that revelation, when that quickens in us, we're like, oh man, I am thankful. There's a response to that, and I won't partner with impurity. I'll no longer partner with that. No matter how funny the coarse joking might seem at the time, it's not your partner. No matter how much you desire sexual fulfillment or, or material fulfillment, the desires of your heart desire and, and crave and demand to be fulfilled. For this is the battle of life, is knowing what to do with our desires. You want to overcome sin, pray this prayer. Lord, help me not to desire that. Do you believe your desires can change? They absolutely can. You train and you teach your desires. You're not subject to them. You're not an animal. You are made in the image of God. You're, you're not, you don't have to live by sinful instincts, but you are, in fact, the full, beautiful expressions of God's creative heart, that you are born and created in the image of God, and you're reborn and delivered and saved into the image of Christ. That there is something unique and profound and special about you. That you are not simply the summation of your desires and where that takes you. It's beautiful. So you don't have to partner with those things. Say, I partner with the truth. I'm going to partner with the revelation of God's love for me. I'm going to partner with gratitude. It's like a foundational thing. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Wake up. For Christ will shine on you. I love that because that's the second point. Grateful people radiate God's goodness, his righteousness, and truth. Verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now... Sorry, I say it again. That's the old 1984 translation of the NIV that I memorized years ago. It just keeps coming out. You were not once in darkness. You were once darkness. It wasn't just that you were sitting in the dark. Everything's dark. It's that you were creating dark. That you were darkness. But in Christ, you have become the light. It's like when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's not like you're in light. It's not like you have a light. No, it's the life of the Christian is to radiate. Christ is shining on me, and therefore my life is radiating light. And never is this so true as in the issue of 
gratitude. Grateful people, people radiate into the world, but ungrateful people suck the life out of it. You know, chronic complaining, it's an epidemic in our world, right? I, I, it's hard for me to judge between generations, right? Does this generation complain more than the last? I don't know, the baby boomers, man, they thought they should have everything and they should, thought they should have it fast. So who complained more, the baby boomers or the millennials? I think they had their own unique, beautiful, profound expression of complaining, each of them. This is something that's not <laughs> relegated to one generation or the next. The idea of entitlement. Entitlement is a monster. He's a beast. I think I deserve certain things in life. It's, it really is something about America that just, it's like an entitlement machine. Between all the commercials, right? Who, who was that? Who was that? that burger joint that said, have it your way. Right? Yeah. I mean, don't make me go through all the marketing campaigns to talk about, you know, tell you how you deserve something. It is a profound and real and significant issue in every person's life, this issue of entitlement. They say in marriage that expectations are the number one indicator of happiness. Because you have certain expectations when you get married that this woman will spend her entire life, every waking moment, trying to make you happy. Right? And until that expectation is thrown down, you will never be happy in marriage. Right? And how many women have this expectation of this perfect ideal husband who this and that I was listening to a guy talk about he was a marriage uh, speaker guy and he says the problem is when you ask a woman what she wants in a husband what she wants in a man what she describes is another woman <laughs> I was like I need my wife to see this really fast I have a friend who says, my wife is so busy, she needs a wife, a helper. The point is, we drag these expectations into marriage or into life, and our whole life, our whole attitude, our whole disposition depends on whether our expectations in life are met or not. And when our expectations are not met, which they are never meant, this world is not designed to meet your expectations. It's actually designed to crush your expectations. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's over the age of like three gets that. And here is the decision for the Christian. What will I do with this cultural overlay of entitlement that makes me really think that I should have all my expectations met or that the world or my wife or my children or my job or anything else is designed to meet my desires? issue of entitlement has to go there. The entitlement monster has to go to the cross and say, time out. Lord, you know what? 
I'm not entitled to anything except maybe judgment. This whole idea of me living with a sense of deserve, I deserve this, have it my way, it really has to go to the cross and say, did Jesus have it his way? No, he said the, the day before the cross, he says, Father, there's any way this cross, this cup can be passed for me. Do it, please. It's not what I want. But not my will, your will be done. And if we lived with a profound sense of God, your will be done in my life, then in sickness or in health, in riches or for poorer, the good times and the bad times, you will find gratitude. And your heart will, your life will radiate. All the guys are like, man, that guy's got a demanding wife, but he's just so thankful for her. I don't get it, man. He's, they, they got it going. It works. I don't know how she puts up with that husband of hers, but you know what? She just seems so thankful for him. You know why? Because the expectations have been reshaped, not by what you want and you get or you don't get out of life, but what does God want for you? I'm generalizing in marriage. I'm not trying to address every situation. But the point is that you have to make a decision. Will you radiate or will you suck the life out of the room? I could talk about chronic escapism into movies, media, music, phone apps, gaming, work. Chronic escapism is, is it's a way of dealing with or escaping the fact that you're not happy with the rest of your life. And all kinds of people just escape into all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol or other women. It can just be your phone. Never have we had such access to escape. And the grateful life deals with reality. And you know what? This is hard. This is easy. I don't know. This is confusing. But in it all, you know what? I'm grateful for the grace of God in my life, for what Christ did on the cross, for how he's sanctifying me and how he's filling me with the Spirit of God. I choose to deal with the reality of life and be grateful. Because even if life is hard, it's purposeful. Even if there's sadness and struggle, there's worship and glory to God. I read a quote says this, giving thanks for the things we don't like becomes a proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to read that again. Giving thanks for the things in life that we don't like is a proclamation that Jesus is Lord. Think of something you don't like right now. You don't like it that it's 11.30 and I'm not done yet. (laughs) And I would be done, except I think the Lord needs you to work through this, so let's keep going. (laughs) Let's give thanks to the Lord. The pastor's going long today. Give thanks to the Lord. Money's tight. But Lord, I say thank you. You are Lord. 
My boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. I got boundary lines, Lord. I trip over them all the time. I feel so bound. But you know what? It's pleasant because you're right here in the middle with me. Giving thanks for the things we don't like becomes a proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is a determination that he is sovereign and that he is Lord. There is no more powerful thing to proclaim to our own soul than no matter what the circumstance looks like, I will believe in him who is on the throne. I mean, you do that in the midst of things you're very unhappy with, you will live a grateful life and your life will radiate. The last thing is this, verse 15. Living from the inside out. Draw the picture, it's a well. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, how many people knows what debauchery is? I had to look it up. Debauchery is this sensual, giving into all your sensual, particularly sexual desires. But it basically, it's, it's this unchained, give yourself over to just the, the, the sexual and, and kind of sinful aspects of human desire. Debauchery. It's like it's, it's like the, um, the whorehouse and the saloon. You just put those things together. That's where you go for debauchery. It's kind of the worst expression of human experience. Don't be drunk with wine. Because that's what alcohol does, right? It lowers all of your sensibilities and you just kind of feel free and, Right? Okay, back to where I was. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how it just says, it says, when you walk, be careful. Be careful. Be mindful. Give care to. Be intentional about the way you walk. Where you walk, how you walk, make the decision to how you're going to walk. I think of um, if you, you drop a glass in the kitchen. There you are standing in your bare feet with glass all around you. What do you got to do? You got to be careful where you walk. That's what the scripture is saying. Where you put your foot, be intentional about it. Give thought to it. Don't allow yourself to put your foot on the broken glass. Don't allow yourself to put your foot where it don't belong. Be smart about it. Be thoughtful about it. 
be careful how you walk. Because the world is filled with opportunity. And you have to make the most of it. The world is filled with these two things, opportunity and evil. Make the most of every opportunity because these days are evil days. He's not whining or complaining about the evil. He's just saying, hey, you know what? The world is evil, so you need to make the most of being a child of the light, of being someone who is a child of God, radiating the grace of God. You need to be careful that you do that. It's like there's a stewardship to it. There's a responsibility to it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, not drunk with wine. It's really, it's, so many people have quoted this to say Christians shouldn't drink. And I'm not here to take a stand on whether Christians should drink alcohol or not. But the, the use of the contrast is not to say alcohol is completely off limits. It's to say that being filled with the Spirit is that much higher. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater, if you took logic class in high school. An argument from the lesser to the greater. If we as parents know how to give, though we're evil, if evil parents know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you don't give your child a rock or a scorpion when they ask you for food or bread, then your, whole, your father is not going to give you something bad when you ask for the Holy Spirit. An argument from the lesser to the greater. Don't be drunk with wine. Or beer, for that matter, or the hard stuff. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Because if your life is meant to be giving thanks always and in every circumstance, and that's what the Scripture here says, giving thanks to God always in every situation, then if you live your life from the outside circumstances and try to get yourself to be thankful, that, my friend, is a futile effort. There is no way that you will live a life of gratitude all the time for every circumstance or every situation if you base it on your circumstances. You just can't do it. You just can't live that charmed of a life. You just can't arrange everything that perfectly. You cannot... Like plan and predict and prepare sufficiently so that everything will go well enough so that you would always be thankful based on those circumstances. The garbage of life will find its way in. The hard things will surface. And you'll be out of luck. You'll be sucking the life out of the room. Because you won't be able to think of or find anything to be thankful for. And you'll just become one of those critical, embittered, entitlement, disappointed people in life. And there'll be no shining. There'll be no radiance. As a matter of fact, you'll be like it says, you are the salt of the world, salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, what happens? You're good for nothing. How many people want to be a good for nothing Christian? You are the light of the world. But if you put it under a bushel, what happens? Nobody benefits. You're good for nobody. And so if you live your life with your gratitude, your expression of God's love, your partnership, being a result of things that happen to you in life, you will never, ever, ever 
radiate. You'll be just like anyone else. When things go good, everyone's happy. When things go bad, everyone's unhappy. But to be thankful always, in every circumstance, you need to be living your life from the inside out. The well. For if you are, in fact, filled with the Holy Spirit, there becomes this flow, speaking in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's a beautiful expression. It's like, you know what? It's like when you're filled with God, when there is something inside of you that is anchored into heaven and is filling you always, because the verb there is be once filled with the Holy Spirit, it's this, this action continual verb. That's the conjugation of it. Be continually filled. That's what it says. Have a, a hose pipe up to heaven that just continues to fill your life from heaven. That if your source is heaven and you are filled with the presence and the power of the risen Christ, then what happens is your life begins to pour forth from the inside out. And you have these psalms and songs, songs of the Spirit. What's a song of the Spirit? What is that? Man, it is this melodic overflow of your heart that comes out in this beautiful, creative sense that says, you know what, God is good and he's in charge and I bless him. No matter what. Song of the Spirit. It's like when the musicians are up here and they're playing and they have those rare moments where things kind of quiet down and no one's singing. They're just like this little instrumentation. And you're there in your seat worshiping the Lord and you're, you're tracking with the words. You're trying hard to figure out the melody. You can't quite stay on key because that's just you. And, and suddenly there's no words and there's just a little bit of instrumentation. But, but your heart just can't stop because you are filled, overflowing with the Holy Spirit, so then you just start singing this song of the Spirit. You're just singing this song of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. God, you're awesome. Da -da -da -da. You could help me with that if you were up here, Grant. But the song of the Spirit is an overflow song of love and gratitude to God. It doesn't even matter what's going on around you. I want to end with this, this idea. That to the pessimist, the glass is always half empty. To the optimist, the glass is always half full. But to those walking in the grace of God, they find that the glass is always overflowing. Amen. Stand with me. As we close today, I want you to have these three images in your mind. <clears throat> Maybe you need to uh, make some new partnerships today. You've partnered with that which is impure, and you need to break that partnership. Another way to say that is you need to repent, just turn away. And make a fresh partnership with the love of God, a fresh partnership with gratitude. And say, it's not because I'm going to yield to my desires. I'm going to find myself as a child of God, grateful, partnering with God and his love.
I want you to remember the issue of the light bulb. You ask yourself a minute if you radiate. If you're not sure of the answer, ask somebody. Don't do it here because I don't want to have to referee all the fist fights. <laughs> you need to ask somebody, do I radiate or do I kind of suck the life out of the room? Well, honey, you sit on that side of the table and I'll sit on this side of the table and we'll talk about it. Just be humble. If you are someone who sucks <laughs> the life out of the room, you want to know that. And you, and you don't want someone to pay the price for telling you it. Because wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy multiplies kisses. Ask an enemy. They'll tell you what you want to hear. Ask a friend. They'll tell you the honest truth and give you an opportunity to make a difference, make a change. Ask yourself, am I radiating gratitude when I come? Am I thankful? Does my heart light up the room? Or do I darken it? And lastly, I want you to, to this issue of the well. Because these first two things, you can, it's hard to walk away from impurity and you can't radiate if you are not filled internally with something from heaven. And that's the issue of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are you filled? Are you continually filled? Don't be a pessimist and don't be an optimist. Be someone who walks in the grace of God with an overflowing heart. Now, Father, we... We bring these things before you. As your people, your children, dearly loved, let us walk in the way of love. Let us walk carefully in the way of love. Let it flow from heaven by the Holy Spirit to us. God, let us be honest with one another. Let the reality of the fruit of our life, whether we're darkness or light, God, be, be, be open about it. And Lord, help us to make every corrective measure, God, that we might be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters. Let your word be rich and powerful, transformative in our hearts and lives. And in all these things, we say thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, together we said amen. amen. May God bless you and keep you. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.